Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 347. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about the news, we talk about culture, and where the anniversary of the COVID lockdowns happened, and we didn't even notice. Or was that just me? I didn't notice. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and as a host of a current events podcast, I wonder if I'm doing my job wrong, that I, like, truly didn't even mention anything about it last week. Um, or is it just that we're all over-remembering it, because we remembered it every day for so long and now we don't have to exactly i don't know well we're going to continue to not talk about it and instead we'll ask if this is the end of english majors we'll also talk about the hazards of searching for marriage material and we'll dip into the cultural grab bag to assess airplane etiquette and dna etiquette um and then before we get started i want to actually let listeners know we're taping unusually early this week so if news happens and you expect that we're covering it we're not covering it uh, because we're taping a little early um, because I'm guest hosting Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me this week. So uh, tune in this weekend for the my um, guest hosting shenanigans. All right. I am so excited about today's panel. Oh, my God. Um, you've heard her on this show before. Uh, oh, my God. But if you haven't been able to do this, see her on stage, which is something I've been able to do. It's fucking fantastic because she's a comedian, an excellent comedian. She's a writer. She's host uh, of the Ruined podcast. She is the wonderful Allison Laby. Hey, Allison. Hi. 
Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, good to see you. So good to see you. And she's got a new cat who's adorbs. I have a new kitty. So if we hear meows, that's probably him. Well, he's he's just he's learning podcast etiquette. Uh, yes, still in yes. the training phase. Yes. Um, <laughs> we're also joined uh, by oh my gosh, this guy. He's one of my like OG comedy friends. And it, he wouldn't have been my friend if I didn't fucking see him kill. You know what I mean? That was like thing number one uh, is that I w- saw him on stage. I'm like, that guy's so fucking funny. I want to be his friend. And then that's what happened. Uh, he's also a writer. He's also a producer. Um, he's also, I mean, happens to be a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces. Not a big deal. Folks, it is the one and only Benari Lee Poulton. Hey, Benari. Hey, thank you so much for uh, having me on again. And uh, you made it very clear early on in the friendship that it was completely dependent on how well I did on any given night on stage. Yeah, yeah. So. Because the nights that you didn't do well, I like. Yeah, our, I wasn't talking faltered. to you. Our, our, yeah, friendship our friendship faltered. faltered. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I only believe it has to be excellence one hundred percent of the time, or you, we, yeah. we don't brunch. You know, and that's what it is. It's definitely kept me on my toes. <laughs> And constantly <laughs> striving for that highest part. Uh, yeah, I love that it's me and not hundreds of audience members at a time that keep you on your toes. <laughs> just the one. Just the one. Well, folks, before we get into the show, just a quick reminder that if you want to get bonus episodes of this very show, you can go to patreon.com slash Farsad and support the show for as little as $4 a month, which is like less than your espresso-based coffee drink a day. So pretend like you're just buying me um, a latte, and then that is you supporting the show. Uh, and on top of that, you get bonus episodes. The bonus episodes are fun and wild. So um, definitely go to patreon.com slash Farsad to check out more of that. Now let us get into it with topic number one. We read a piece in The New Yorker by Nathan Heller called The End of the English Major, and immediately my heart sank because it's true. Enrollment in the humanities is in a free fall at colleges and universities around the country, and yet I, the host of a podcast, a comedian, thrived in the humanities. So I'm weirdly taking this personally. So first, were either of you English majors, and what is your relationship with uh, with picking a major? Like, what when you went in, were you like humanities all the way, or are you guys secretly cell biologists? And I don't know this about you. <laughs> what if I was like I cured COVID? Um, yeah. no. <laughs> no. Have I you heard it. of Pfizer? My middle name is Allison <laughs> Pfizer. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I I was an English major, but I entered college like with the plan of being pre-med or in some kind of like medical sciences. Oh, so sorry, you were an English major. I was an English okay, major, okay. but after, so this, after half, take a this semester, mm-hmm. half a semester, half a semester of being in like, you know, pre-med or biology, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, not, yeah, no th- yes, organic chemistry, no thank you. No thank you. And I just like went and I was like, I like English. My mom's an English teacher. Like, I'm just going to go do this and it's fun and great and I also took this very personally when I was reading. <laughs> so, t- okay. So, so I want to delve into that taking it personally feeling. But first, <laughs> Benari, what did you major in? And did yes. you take this personally? Very personally. My, my mom's an English teacher. My sister is an English teacher. Um, Are you I, guys siblings? I double, <laughs> What's I, I double majored in theater and English. Oh, so I, you're you the know, worst which, of the worst. Yeah, yes. that's why I joined. That's why I joined the army. Uh, double major in unemployment. <laughs> yep. So uh, 
And of course, my opinions reflect my opinions alone and do not reflect those of the United States Army, Army Reserve, the United States government, or coalition forces, or partners, or anyone real or imagined. Now, having said that, um, I did actually end up accidentally double majoring in English and theater because the classes I was picking, I was going to minor. I, I was theater. I was a theater kid all the way. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept taking these literature courses. I was doing more research. Um, I was, uh, and a lot of, there was a lot of overlap in what I was interested in. And I think I was looking to, to minor in kind of sociology or philosophy even. And then I got to my senior year and my advisor was like, you're one credit away from a double major in English if you just take this other course. And um, the my thesis could double as both thesis because it was a play that I wrote. So anyway, all that being said is I think the humanities are incredibly important. Um, you know, much like Aristotle uh, wrote way back in the day when he uh, wrote the Poetics, which was in part a response to um, uh, this the the Socratic idea of. Uh, just the Republic or, um, you know, Plato's idea, the Platonic ideal of the Republic, um, where the humanities weren't important. Aristotle made a very compelling argument that the, that the humanities is what endows our society, our culture with the, the, the zest for life. That's what gives it meaning. That's what all of this toil is for. And the idea of the life well lived can't be known while you're living it until you look back on it. And that's what I think the humanities does. It endows all of this with purpose and uh, our sense of connection to one another. Fucking Benari had to bring up Aristotle, and now everything <laughs> I say is going to sound so dumb. I know. Okay, Allison, I'm like, you... I like books. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, why do you take it personally? I am like... I feel like it's all like it always has been the joke. Like, what do you do with an English major? I mean, there was like a song in Avenue Q. Like, what do yeah, you do yeah, with yeah. an English major? Like, but it's like it's truly like looked down on in a way. And I feel like this is just kind of a more like data driven like evidence of that. But it's like I loved it. I thought it was like the best way to spend my four years in college. And like, there's just nothing that prepare. Like, I just think that like it prepares you to do all kinds of things. Like, if you have a degree in you know, engine like certain kind of engineering, like that's the job you're gonna do forever. Right. But if you have an English degree or humanities degree or like anything that like kind of helps you learn how to communicate and think critically and engage with art and right. engage with the rest of yeah. society, like you're re- you can do lots of things. And I think that people are like, what what's the one job? Like English teacher? And it's like, no, actually, like almost any job is available. Yeah, to yeah. Me. Well, that's the other thing because when I, when I graduated, I mean, I was a double major in government and theater, and uh, and when I graduated, all of the like English majors, theater majors, government majors, those um, language specific majors, like French or whatever, yeah. all of those people straight up ended up doing six-figure jobs at like Deloitte and Touche. Totally. And I was, you know, it's like, or they would go and work in government or they would like, there was, it's not that, I don't in fact know anyone who then tried to be, uh, get a PhD in English and then be a professor. Like, I don't know anyone that went on that track. That was what I wanted so desperately. I wanted to do that so bad and I didn't get into the PhD programs I applied for. And now I'm like, oh, I just do that. 
but right, for right, like right, right, right. more money. Right. But for <laughs> work, for money, yes, for, for real money. money. <laughs> um, well, I just but I think that's. <laughs> I think that this gets to the heart of it, though, because it's not a practical skill that is rewarded in society. Therefore, it's not a it's not a track that is promoted in school. STEM has has overtaken that. But let me just make a a, a, a pitch for the humanities and, and an English major um, in ways that we don't think about. I just I just saw, uh, I was at the Science Museum here in Los Angeles and uh, the Endeavor is there, but they had this, um, it, it was an exhibit with James Cameron and um, his exp- his marine biology exploration of, uh, he, he, cr- he helped, he worked with scientists to create a new kind of submersible uh, device that went, Basically, it was completely vertical, and it cut the time in half to get to the bottom of the ocean so they could actually explore the bottom of the ocean. And this was, they like, exp- in some way for Avatar, right? Well, it, it was partly for Avatar. He got, like, super into, like, the ocean when he was doing Titanic and oh, just couldn't okay. let it go. <laughs> and then and then wanted to – and basically was just this, you know – he was this director artsy guy who wanted to explore the the bottom of the ocean. And they were like, to get down there, it takes so long to get down there. You can only spend about 20 minutes. And he worked with scientists to develop a new kind of like submersible machine so they could get to the bottom of the ocean faster and spend hours exploring it. He was the first guy to go down there and do it. Wow. And all because it, it because he imagined it. Because the sci- he worked with the scientists who knew how to do it, but he brought he helped design this machine. And what he was bringing to it was this other type of thinking, this imaginative, you know, humanities background to the sciences. And when they work in tandem like that, that creates progress. That creates mm. scientific progress, social progress, um, you know. That that's what leads to exploration. That's what makes us want to discover more about the world that we live in, about the stars that are beyond us. That's why the humanities are important to me. I mean, Benari, as a theater major, I can't tell you the number of submarines I've built. Okay, it's like <laughs> I'm fucking swarming in submarines. So no, but that's an that's actually that's a beautiful point. Um, you know, and and yet like. So right now, like in 2018, the University of Wisconsin um, actually considered eliminating 13 majors, including English, history and philosophy for want of pupils. And the other the interesting thing to me, too, is like, okay, so I I got a graduate degree in um, African-American studies and uh, public policy. I got two master's degrees. And um, I actually feel strongly that without some kind of like historical background, you cannot kind of uh, be terribly great in government. Um, yeah. And we need a ton of people working in government. I mean, it's it's like the thing that makes, you know, the garbage get picked up. Like it's from, it's it, it touches every point of your life government does um and uh so i don't know i mean can can you imagine a a campus that doesn't have majors like english philosophy um in history no like you need those studies like i not everybody has to be an english major but everybody should be taking an english class like every like it's so oh it makes me so angry (laughs) i think it's so important like also like you have the rest of your life. All like every job trains you there. 
like you are doing on-the-job training, there are tons of professional schools and certificates and master's degrees and PhDs and others like to continue and specify what you want to do. Your undergrad should be, I'm interested in this stuff and I want to know more about it. That's what it should be. Like, I mean, is it does it yeah. sound though, Benari, like a little bit of a privileged person's thing to say? Because some Look. people <laughs> need to graduate and immediately yes. <laughs> make a bunch of money and some people don't. Yes, we we all do though. We all need to make a bunch of money and uh, upon graduation, look, it should be it should be balanced. And I think what ends up happening is exactly what has happened in schools, which is they uh, they value the practical skills or the money making skills over everything else. But the thing that the humanities offers you that no other kind of track does is there are no answers in the humanities. It's constantly questions. It's examining things. It's a track that challenges your beliefs and your deeply held ideals and the things that make you you and make you re-examine things constantly. And one thing that was really interesting to me in that New Yorker article was how a lot of people also don't want to do it because they just see it as old, dead white men. Mm-hmm. Which and one of the professors had an had an interesting yeah, I uh, loved take on yeah. that, which was yes, but the people, the other people, you know, if you're reading Zadie Smith, if you're reading Toni Morrison, James Baldwin, they also read those dead white men. The the found you there's a foundation and a shared language and a shared set of uh, knowledge that that we then build upon. So it's not one or the other. It's a constantly evolving canon basically and 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 we can see how it interrelates you can actually see the evolution of this thinking the evolution of what of where it started and where it is and the possibilities of where it can go and that to me ties us all together in the tapestry of history um we can see how it's how it's influenced the sciences how it's influenced mathematics how it's influenced government and civics um and and let you know the the probably the age of reason or the renaissance the greatest uh time in human history for innovation and uh and just society in general that was a balance of all of these things but all these scientists all these government leaders were also men and women who uh were deep thinkers and read and, and were readers and were and were steeped in literature as well and searching for uh, answers in in these in in these works that touch them and uh, and and I just think that that's again why it's important. And I'm going to say two, I'm going to say one thing and then ask a final question. And one thing is like universities are saying, like just in everybody's in the in universities defense, um, that they're not like eliminating necessarily these things, even though there's like low, much lower volumes of people majoring in these humanities, but they're creating more interdisciplinary majors like business language and culture, where someone will do language coursework and some like, you know, they might read a novel or whatever, but then they're focus is on business so you know so there so that it's not that it's like disappearing entirely but that it might be in, integrated into other fields that's like i think the best case scenario right now my last question is that what is so weird about this phenomenon is that and the, the, the article talks about this um that we're in a moment um, and let me just quote from the article, by most appearances, the appetite for public contemplation of language, identity, historiography, and other long-term concerns of the seminar table is at a peak. So why now, 
would the would interest in exactly those things formalized by a degree be so low like all we do is argue about language <laughs> on the internet yeah. so i don't know Allison, did you um do you have any thoughts on that i mean it like tracks for america's uh deep distaste for intellectualism and like mm. reasonable debate um because that's like i i i i mean i also think that it's a huge part that like if college is going to cost that much you want like a real thing like, to come out thing of it. to be like and then i can make x number of dollars and it's right. just such a capitalistic terrible um Way yeah, to actually, do education. Thing, yeah, I think that's a really <laughs> that, great point. And actually, uh, the article I, I don't think did this, which is ha- like the uh, an overlaid graph of the curve, the downward sloping curve of English majors with the upward sloping curve of overall tuition and uh, boarding costs. Um, that probably just has a huge impact on everyone, even people who have a little bit more luxury when it comes to having to make money after school. Yeah. Well, folks, let me know. Are you personally offended by the <laughs> by the decline in English majors as the three of us were, <laughs> which is like obviously a, a podcast hosted by a comedian with our two comedian friends is going <laughs> to. Please send your answer in the form of a Derridian deconstruction of the topic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if you don't quote Aristotle, don't even bother. <laughs> All right. Um, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we shall continue. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit. Even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. So we read a piece in Time magazine by Maisha Battle called Hazards of Searching for Marriage Material. And Battle herself is a dating coach. And she says in the piece, for some of my clients, the hunt for marriage material includes sifting through dating profiles with laser focus on social status and earning potential. The search for something as meaningful as a life partner has been overshadowed by the need for financial security or at least the dream of an easier life with two healthy incomes. So she thinks this trend is dangerous and at first blush I guess um Allison what did you think is marriage material uh part of I, I don't know if you're partnered or not but it, just what you know anecdotally or it, um, from from your own hunt what what is it I am I am not partnered and I'm also not like dying to do that Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just I like I mean I got the cat so I think I committed a little bit to what I'm doing here Um, (laughs) I do like I like I understand I know that that's like a thing I have friends and like very very successful uh, female friends who when they like look for partners when they're dating like you know I had a friend who for a while was like oh he's a teacher like that's great and all but like what are we going to do? Finan- like, I don't necessarily want to be a breadwinner. Like, I don't want it to be my responsibility to bring the money to the relationship. And like, ha- like she's like, I want somebody who's a real partner for me, which I think is great because you have so many high earning women out in the world now. And I don't think we did have as many 30, 40 years ago, but it does then like raise the stakes of like, well, equal partnership would require for some people like an equal amount of money coming in. And that is limiting. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird. I I actually even find this whole trend or whatever that this particular dating coach is talking about, I find it strange given how much women are their own bread earners. Like it make it seems odd to me, though, I guess the, the idea of having two healthy incomes. I mean, I, sure, that sounds delightful, obviously. Um, Bonari, what what I mean, have you noticed anything with this trend? Yeah, first I'm feeling very attacked by the topics of this week's <laughs> Fake Nation. I'm not in a relationship. I'm not partnered. Uh, this is feels very much like an intervention a at single, this point. A single English major. <laughs> Who would have thunk? A double major, you say? Uh, how is this guy single? Uh, I Look, I travel a lot. I, I've, I'm in and out of relationships uh, plenty. But in my... <laughs> In in the relationships that I have now, I I do find it very um, almost organized into categories. You know, where it's like these are the people I hang out with, these are the people I like go to parties with, these are the people I yeah, sometimes yeah. sleep with. Like that's you know, it's all it's there's not like one person necessarily, mm-hmm. um, and nor do I feel I'm just at an age where I'm like I, if it doesn't happen, I'm not concerned. I'm not like looking for like ah, I got to get settled down anytime soon um but i think that that societal pressure has been removed so it's no longer uh it's no longer this sort of social stigma you know as like well he's an unconfirmed bachelor you know what that Mm. means you know there's none of that stuff anymore um so there's not that societal pressure necessarily to like do it whether you're happy or not you know so i think that that stuff is removed i think when you just find other stuff in your life like it's it's really priorities. Like there's other things I'm I'm you know I 
I have these things that are obviously more important to me than just, you know. But I, I also like that. the idea. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think that's a really excellent point that you can <laughs> have a set of friends that you go to for like, hey, do you guys want to uh, invest in this property with me? Like it, it's weird that the yeah. person you're fucking is also supposed to be the person you build Your empire with. Partner. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like that doesn't. I mean, it, it's it's like that doesn't necessarily make sense or whatever. I mean, yeah, I, ha- I had the very. Lucky, I guess, experience of dating someone who was wealthy for a good few years. We dated. He had a lot of money at his disposal, and he did like some wild things where we would like go on a trip, uh, you know, last minute, uh, you know, to the uh, across the pond or whatever. And that was obviously really, really nice, but I also was miserable. So mm. <laughs> I realized I like had a. I, I, n- I never thought about money and and then when I when he when I was with someone that did have money I was like oh it's nice be having access to someone with money because I get to like tag along to his muddied adventures but <laughs> right. it was not nice to tag along to with someone that had money that I didn't enjoy their company <laughs> yeah so I, I realized then that like company matters a thousand times more in partnering right yeah. well we have like this we have the romantic ideal now of what marriage can be and should be um but then it's still based in a financial decision right you know there were dowries and people were married off to to make political alliances between families and to, it was whether to get land or whatever and women were the property involved in that exchange of you know they were almost the currency in that and then now women thankfully have autonomy we'll see how long that lasts with uh, you know the current <laughs> the, the, the current uh, shift in the government yeah. but but as it is now now that the now that there are there are new uh, sort of terms for what you bring to a marriage and i think that there's like probably a lot of dudes who are like if I'm going to put it like I, they might not want that in a wife. I think there's plenty of dudes who like when they talk about old school marriage and it's probably very coded. But when they talk about like a return to like how marriage used to be, it's like I don't want a wife who like makes a living is gone. They're supposed to raise the kids and be home and be at my beck and call. Yeah. And like there are plenty of women who are like, you know what? Maybe I don't need that. <laughs> Maybe I don't need to be like fall into that role where I have this very successful life. And if I don't have a dude that that can handle that like I don't need to be I don't need that guy yeah I mean like as like a woman who dates men like I also have a hard time wrapping my head around like okay well like I work a lot and I love what I do and I make a lot of money and it's a lot of work for me to keep myself fed and keep my one bedroom clean Mm -hmm. and now I will (laughs) most likely based on how a lot of men handle relationships like be doing all of that and also keeping someone else fed and a bigger apartment that someone else also resides in and makes a mess clean. Like I watch friends of mine who are like fabulous, independent, like, like badass women. And they're like, Oh, I got to make my husband some chicken. Like he doesn't know how to do it. And I'm like, I, you, <laughs> right. he sounds like a fucking loser. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. And like, that's, I think that that is like what makes marriage like s- seem like a turnoff. I think also, too, like the longer you're single, the more you end up taking care of things that someone else would have taken care of for you. I'm like, I'm not looking for someone to make doctor's appointments for. 
you know, but also, <laughs> you know, I, and I'm, I'm fine. Like help. I could, I'll, I, I've been in relationships yeah. where, where we've shared, we've shared that or whatever, but like longer term, that, that sort of balance, you need to find someone who works within the parameter, like your parameters. And I think mm-hmm. that as opposed to, it used to be people just like paired off and it was like, well, you're good enough. And then people will get, you know, miserable and then divorce rates skyrocket. And, and a lot of people are, you know, <laughs> you know, hit, hit an age where like, oh, look, all our friends are divorced. And it's like, partly because you, you didn't pick a partner necessarily that was the best fit for you. You picked a partner that worked and and was willing to marry, you know, to get married. Right, like by, and by I the numbers partnership. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know that, like, by I don't know what the numbers are anymore, but I know that, like, you know, it's not an essential necessarily, uh, necess- it's not essentially an, uh, a necessity anymore for everyone to get paired off. You can, you can find whatever you're missing from that, from what the marriage gives you, um, you, can, you can get, you don't need to get married for financial reasons. Right. And I think a lot of people did get married for financial reasons, you know, in the past. Yeah. I mean, I, that's that's the number one thing is you don't need to get married for financial reasons. And it's all, I think, in an in a time where people are like swiping to find someone and it's like daunting, the, op- the options are daunting. I mean, I only have, I, I you know, I used to go online dating before I was married and uh, and I just remember being like, I was gonna... wondering why you're not on the apps anymore. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> Guys, I'm off the market. Um, but I I would uh, I remember thinking like, okay, I'm just gonna like put a time limit limit on like a timer, literally on how much I will sit on this app because I will go crazy, you know, like looking at all of these photos of people and then making decisions about who they are and you know um and I think it's hard enough to do that like adding the element of what is there like can I see a copy of your recent 1099s like that to me it's like it just feels I don't know it it also sucks the fun out of any any possible fun that you could be having in the dating process like it should be a little bit more about fun like I think I don't know. Have fun. Yeah, and look, I'm not anti, you know, I'm not anti the institution of marriage. And uh, I have a lot of good friends who are in great marriages. I officiated, you know, weddings. So, uh, you know, when it works, it's terrific. And I think that, um, you know, I think that people can choose what works best for them. I do think that there is a little bit of a problem of with the too many options. Yeah. People mm-hmm. people uh, are quicker to dismiss something that actually is a really good option and probably is a good long-term option mm-hmm. but the enticement of well what else what's behind door number two maybe it's a boat i don't know <laughs> like what yeah you know, what's no, in the box? exactly yeah yeah and yeah. i think that that kind of thinking has crept in and i think that there's probably a little bit of trouble there you know and so i'm sure there's plenty of the ones that got away because you were searching for you know the the <laughs> the mythological something better out there yeah and and searching for the wealth signifiers right you know? all right folks uh let me know are you on the hunt and are you looking for the financial in- data <laughs> By the way, if there are sugar mamas out there, I am willing to like leave work and just be like a house husband and whatever you need. Folks, um, just Benari, throwing that out there. Benari there on the market. In a, a, in a heartbeat. Catch. I will retire today <laughs> in a heartbeat. 
I, I have no I shame that. about it. I, I will raise that. the kids. I will be a stay-at-home dad, <laughs> husband. I, I'd be all in. If oh you got the God. money, I'm in. <laughs> Folks, this is like a huge development here on Fake the Nation. This is That's how much news. of a feminist I am. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let us, uh, let us move into topic number three. Dipping into the cultural grab bag. And we found a woman on a plane. She sat next to a dude who ate a rack of ribs with three sides. Jail. She posted it, and of course, the internet went nuts and weighed in. Do you think this guy was in was within the rules of etiquette to eat ribs on a plane? No. 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 A thousand times no. That is so unacceptable. I would call the FAA if I saw that. I'd be so... Upset. I feel like people when they fly feel like because they bought a ticket for this flight, they are entitled to like have a private kingdom in the sky. And it's like, no, 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 no. You are one of a hundred people that's on this stupid plane. We don't have like access to real food here. You have to sit down and shut up and just stay in your seat and don't bother anybody. That's all flying is supposed to be. Also, we're talking domestic flights. You can't go like three to six hours without Without devouring a rack of fucking ribs. No fly list. No fly list. They take our, they take our fucking, they take, they take our, our shampoo. They won't, you can't, you can't walk on with, with, with toothpaste, but you're going to fucking get a rack of ribs and sit there in a, in a metal cylinder that's going to fly through the sky that we're all shoved into in a tin can with no access to outside air. We're just, this is the, the smells alone that that occur i I mean there's nothing worse than sitting down and someone next to you pulls out like a like a shopping bag and starts uncrinkling like an egg salad or like whatever (laughs) fucking greasy smelly and like they get like the word like a fish sandwich or something you know oh now i'm gonna have crab legs it's like what are you doing I hope it counted as one of his personal items because the picture, it was a large it was box. And it's it like, big. you know that guy had something in the bin and something under his seat. That doesn't get, you don't get to bring mm-hmm. that on just because you bought it, it in the I airport. Mean, <laughs> did he consolidate? If so many questions. Right. Uh, because I get yelled at for consolidating my like, you know, phone into my bag or whatever. Like if right. because I don't want to count it as a separate thing. Um, I, okay. I took a, I, I don't know. This hits close to home for me because... I took a train on Wednesday Uh-oh. to Washington D.C. Um, because I was I was uh, um, performing at G- George Washington Washington University. By the way, shout out! They were so lovely and delightful and had a wonderful time. And um, I took on board with me. Uh, this is a train, so we have a little bit more room. I took mm. on board with me a quiche, like a piece of quiche. Oh sure. Do you feel? And I felt it was. But it was a ham and cheese. There, they heated it up, so there was a little. I was a little nervous that that I that I was smelling the the compartment of quiche. I think even more than smell, the issue with my issue with the ribs is the mess. Okay, like, right. This was be, a contained yeah. quiche, by the yeah, way. I just want I everyone that to that's know. Like, and like you're eating it. You're not eating it with your hands like an animal. Like, I mean, right. Like, even if you picked it up and took a bite, like that's still not. No. A by saucy the way, I did not eat it with my hands like an animal. Mess. I ate it with and a I fork. think like especially like coach seats are so small. You are touching the person next to you, and then like what their hands are covered in barbecue sauce. Like what? No, don't. No, it might get on me. Yes. I don't want right. that. 
yeah. totally agree. The the fear of the mess and then spilling and, and you're you're in this cramped space. Um, Nagin, you are a monster, however. Um, that does not absolve you of the quiche okay. uh, transgression. <laughs> um, you know what you've done. I approve and the of the guilt quiche. that you felt. The guilt that you felt is good. <laughs> was and that was you should good. Okay, carry okay, that. I should, that okay. You should carry that shame forward. I was trying to uh, eat it before, but I like didn't have time. And um, look, there should be a list of approved foods. I fly a lot. I travel I a, fly lot. a lot. I there fly should a be lot. a list yeah. of approved foods that but you I can eat on a plane or a train. They and they shouldn't have like, they shouldn't be aromatic. Sha- That's like number I mean, one. No bones. But, but, but first no bones, of all, no, qu- no questions to the, da- the Daniel Patrick Moynihan, beautiful train station. Uh, yes. Pe- new, new Penn Station terminal. Uh, many, uh, many applauses uh, to <laughs> the people who made that. So gorgeous. But they did put put in place there a store that does sell a slice of quiche. So as a traveler, I feel like it's very confusing. Now, did this guy, because here's the big, if you're in Austin, by the way, there's a, a salt lick, I believe, in the Austin airport. Banari, have you been? Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? I know exactly I what you're you talking can, about, you but that should stay in the that should, you should stay in the, in the airport. airport. Okay, okay. And this is what, we've given people too many options, and this un, the, I'm the sorry, airport has a lot of options. The airport it's has a lot of options. unfettered freedom. This unregulated freedom <laughs> that people have on planes <laughs> has gone too far. We are breaking the social contract. We have a social contract with one another, well, and there should there have to be restrictions. <laughs> <laughs> what would Aristotle say? Now, um, I, Allison, you were going to say. I, I also think we're not um, blaming enough the person who was working at the rib restaurant in the airport that was like, yeah, here's a to-go box. Like, I don't yeah. like, no, 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 right. no. Nobody's going, nobody's right. leaving the airport and going home. He know he was getting on a flight. So, right. so don't like, let give him that take to that, him that on away. A tray. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. This guy is paying like $73 for shitty reheated airport ribs from a chain restaurant. Yeah. That's, that's what he's doing. So, of course, he wants to bring it on the plane. He just spent like $75 on this shitty fucking messy ribs in a to-go box that's pouring out all over the place i get it but time management my dude yeah yeah time management i was once in the air um in mexico city airport i had one of the best mexican meals of my life (laughs) because unlike in like our airports where everything's basically reheated whatever they had a full working kitchen. Ugh. It was not a chain. It was like a mom and pop, Yum. wonderful restaurant <laughs> in the airport. <laughs> Cheap, but like, and, and I, me and my husband were like, what is happening? Why are we having the best meal of our lives in this airport? It makes <laughs> no sense. So anyways, um, again, the- m- much applause to that one restaurant in Mexico City. I think of you often. Look, there should also be, I think, this will fix everything. There should be like on the run to go food that you get when you're like running to make your connection. You don't have Approved, time to food. Yeah. And then there's sit down layover food. Okay. Yeah. Because it's yeah. inefficient for people that are trying to make their it plane to try and get this sit down food it makes and sense. then bring it on the plane. And it yeah. ties, it, it throws the whole system off kilter. It's why there are long lines everywhere. Everyone's your way, right away, whatever you need. Uh, libertarians, I bet, I believe you can tweet <laughs> Benari at Benari Lee and, yeah. uh, and he, let him know. 
first sit next to the rib guy after waiting like three and a half hours just to get a fucking cup of coffee when it's when okay and, and, and then, then you tell me how you think about your okay. fucking about your freedom you tell me how you feel tell, tell us about your freedom all right let's look um the in elsewhere in the cultural grab bag uh we read um there's this and in the ethicist column in the New York Times, there was a really interesting question from a reader. They wanted to know, basically, can I use my adopted child's DNA to find his biological parents? Um, and here are some of the details. The parents are American. The kid was adopted in China. The kid's now eight years old. And they say if you want to find the original parents, you have to do it close as close to the birthday as possible because um, soon documents be, are destroyed. Memories become hazy. And the best way to do it is through the DNA database. Um, but if she enters her son's DNA into a Chinese database, she might be b- compromising her son's privacy. And China- the Chinese government has a sketchy track record with its use of DNA databases, especially of its male citizens. So what do you think this parent should do? I don't know. I wouldn't like I, I've never done like 23andMe or Ancestry yeah, or like any either. like I don't I'm just like. I don't know. Is it is it that important? I oddly don't care. Like, yeah. It's just like to me, I'm just like, unless the kid is like begging to know who their biological parents are, I don't think it's necessary. I don't know. But I'm also I'm not an adoptive parent. I'm not an, ado- an adopted child. Right. So I don't know. But I am like, I, mean, I, I don't can know. Imagine I guess the, the less so the info, the better. Right, the eight-year-old apparently has expressed interest in knowing, but uh, but they're also eight, and like, yeah, what the fuck do they know? But there is this thing of like, when the kid turns like seventeen and they have more ideas and thoughts, maybe the information's right there for the taking. Yeah. Versus, you know, right. I don't know, Benari, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that's right. Um, I think that you you want to make sure that you know you're you're respecting privacy laws. Um, but also that the that the kid has some say in the matter. The only thing I can think of is if you're worried about some sort of medical history. Sure. Um, yeah. You know that that that's important, especially as a parent. You want to make sure that you have all the information for your kid's medical history um, as possible. I think it's really complicated. I think it really is. I, I think it's a, a conversation for the families. It's not. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think this is a situation in which you know. Uh, armchair experts come in and say, well, here's what I would do. I think whatever works for the family and, and their comfort level and their, um, and, and, you know, that, well, that the, it's funny because wishes. there was a, I mean, I, I thought about, I thought, I, I thought this was an interesting headline because there was a storyline in this is us, by the way, spoilers for this is us. <laughs> um, the m- mom in that story who has an adoptive son, um, it's Ma- Mandy Moore's adoptive son, Sterling K. Brown. She knows who the biological father is, but then never tells him. Mm-hmm. That seems obviously wrong to me. But I also see as a mom why you would like do that because you're scared. <laughs> you're scared they'll be like, I'm gonna I love the biological parent more than you. Bye. I can imagine that fear constantly. Yeah. There's a I follow because I like, I don't know, TikTok um owns me. Um I um <laughs> I follow a lot of like um or not a lot, but like a couple of like child free content creators who like talk about what it's you know, not having children and and that choice, which is who I am and what Wait, I Wait, also... so there's a whole TikTok universe of of ch- posting about child free. Well, there's life? a TikTok universe of literally everything you could okay, ever gotcha, want. I'm deep gotcha. in Capybara TikTok right now, as we all are. Um <laughs> But, like, yeah, there's, like, a lot of creators who, like, are these, like, very cool, like, it's mostly women, vocal women, talking about, like, being child-free, the social pressures, just, like, 
what life is like, like tell, you know, just to destigmatize it, I think. Yeah. And through that, I get recommended sometimes like, there's a lot of cool, like very interesting creators on TikTok who talk about adoption and kind of what adoption is versus how we actually talk about it. And like, and it's very, I'd be interested in what um, some of these advocates for, you know, the rights of adopted children and stuff like that would say. Cause like, there's just lots of, I don't know any of their names because I don't know how to use TikTok well enough to remember handles, but um, <laughs> there's some very, some very interesting conversations. And like, it changed a lot about how I think about, you know, those kind of parent and children, like what the rights are of you're not entitled to a right. child and all of that, that, you know, yeah, that's the thing. It's narrative. like that you're you're obviously you know more than the child. Mm-hmm. You're an adult. You should be making decisions for them. And then there's like this one decision that you could or could not make for them, whether or not there's like privacy issues with the Chinese government and all that stuff, which also yeah. sounds like irritating, like an irritating set of factors to have to like yeah, right. <laughs> to have to like uh, think about. Which, by the way, the ethicist weighed in and said that. Um, that at the end of the day, there's only a 1% chance that you're going to be able to figure out the biological family. So like kind oh. of, it's yeah. not yeah. going to matter, uh, which was, which was mildly depressing, it would but definitely you know. be a bummer to give your information, your DNA information over to another government where it might get hacked and then to also not get information get, back. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's, there's also, you know, the, there's the, the flip side, which is. Children are put up for adoption for all sorts of reasons. When you don't know the background of that, and a lot of that is sealed, a lot of that mm-hmm. is hidden from even the, the adopted parents. Um, you know, there there's sometimes stories. You know, sometimes the adopted the, the parents who put the child up for adoption are looking for for the kid or want you know want it in the file. Like if they come looking, we want to be found, or I yeah. want to be found, because mm-hmm. yeah. um, you don't know the circumstances, um, you know, behind that. So I think that that's kind of also there there should there should be a better system for people to place in the record you know the the wishes of all parties so like hey if the child goes searching for yeah. information i would like this information easily available here you know here it is um versus yeah. like i'm i'm off the grid and, and you know disappeared and which i can imagine the chinese government isn't like out here trying to make things really simple for like western families <laughs> yeah. who are adopted you know what i mean no. the chinese government is feeding you tiktok influencers <laughs> yeah, to right. be like child free all the way <laughs> by the way apparently chinese tiktok is all just like science and math <laughs> it's not it does not have a, the universe of uh subjects that we that we get in the American TikTok which is probably why they're less addicted to it or something I don't know. All probably. right, folks, that um is the end of the show, but before we fully wrap up here and we find out where to find our wonderful panels, I just want to do a quick shout out to people who have been leaving Apple reviews. Um, thank you so, so much for these amazing reviews we've been getting. Really, every review helps people find the show, so please keep them coming. Lib in Wyoming gave us five stars and wrote the best. This Wyoming liberal gets a smile on her face whenever the show drops. Thank you for your insight and humor, Nagin. You make my life better. I'm just like I'm blushing. What a lovely, lovely review. Um, 
Wearing Pants gave us five stars and wrote, Fake is our religion. Nagin's humor, insights, calls to action, and endless optimism are salve for my heart in these complicated times. Religiously listening together as an agnostic family every weekend for years. FTN is our <laughs> church. Which, oh my God, you guys, I'm like, I'm so, um, my my uh, cup runneth over. I'm so delighted that the show uh, means, means so much to you. Um, keep the reviews coming because it really helps people find the show even if it's just to just to hop in there uh give us some stars and leave a couple of emojis you know um even that little bit helps but what i would really love is for the people of fake the nation to be able to follow the two of you and all the wonderful things that you do allison where do they do that um, you can follow me on Twitter, which allegedly still exists, um, and Instagram at Allison Leiby. Um, I'm on TikTok, but I don't post anything. I'm just looking, so there's nothing to see there from me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you can follow also my podcast that I do with the very funny Hallie Kiefer um, called Ruined, where we ruin she ruins a horror movie for me every week because I refuse to see them, and she's a student of the genre. So it's very fun. It's called Ruined, and you can follow us at Ruined Podcast on all social media. Absolutely. Subscribe to that podcast. It's so funny. Um, and Allison, it, you know, has written for very many uh, a thing that you have watched. What are some of the things? What are the, some of the shows that you've written for? Um, I've written for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, for I wrote for Amy Schumer's show Life and Beth, uh, season two coming to Hulu this year, um, and a bunch of other. Fun. I mean, Allison is yeah. all over your television. So uh, so just like start following her and everything else she does because you have already seen her handiwork and you have already loved it. All right. Benari, where do people find you? Uh, just find me on the socials at uh, Benari Lee everywhere that socials can be found. And uh, uh, maybe drop by one of the clubs uh, like Flappers in uh, Los Angeles if you're in town. Folks, if you're in Los Angeles and you are not looking up Benari's schedule to see where Look he's going to be performing, I'm going to be personally very offended. And I'm we've already, as we know, have taken offense to uh, on behalf of all English majors. So there's a lot of offense taking in <laughs> this right. episode, and that and this will our friendship this. depends. Our friendship depends on and it. our friendship so. depends on it. So um, definitely uh, follow Benari and um, check out uh, his wonderful work on stage. Um, and folks, you know um, where to find me and all the stuff I do. Um, I am, uh, I, th- I think I mentioned this last week, but you can check out the History's Greatest um, the greatest of all time on the History Channel is what I meant to say. The new show, Greatest of All Time on the History Channel with Peyton at Manning. And you can see me um, on the next few episodes of that. Uh, and we talk about daredevils and inventions. And it's just a fun, fun show. Um, and again, I'll be on Wait, Wait and this week. So, um, so be sure to check that out. And if you're in Chicago, maybe there are still tickets. I don't know. Come to the live experience. It's so fun. Uh, although this episode, I don't know if this will drop in time. Don't worry about it it's fine i mentioned it anyways um and i would love to thank everyone who makes this show a possibility that's our wonderful producer andrew mcguire um thanks to everyone at headgum uh who makes this show a possibility gobby Alter wrote our theme music and you can reach us at fake the nation podcast at gmail.com again that's fake the nation podcast at gmail.com with any ideas you might have and otherwise we will be back in your earballs next week That was a HeadGum Podcast.